0: Hi, my name is Heather and in this podcast I'll be hosting conversations with different people about the practices and habits they have that spark deeper love. Love for themselves, love for others and love for God. My hope is that as you listen in it will spark ideas for how you can cultivate your own practices in your everyday life. Today we'll be talking about prayer with Chelsea. I first met Chelsea in a small prayer chapel where she and I showed up for a collective prayer time It was just the two of us. I learned that she was on probation and she clearly had a lot of time to sit quietly with her thoughts. She struck me as a deep, engaging presence. She also taught me a lot about prayer and hope and joy in the weeks where we both kept showing up. Chelsea spent eight years in prison, three of those in maximum security, which is where she learned to pray. She was first arrested at 16 for environmental activism, then went to prison 12 years later for actions of property destruction with the Earth Liberation Front. After her release, she was involved with and then directed Refuge, a ministry of transformational healing. At the same time, she earned both a bachelors and an MDiv. She is now working on a memoir capturing the story of her spiritual journey. Today, she'll be talking to us about prayer. Chelsea is joining us today for our um, podcast about the things that spark, the practices and habits that spark um, deeper love. And today's practice that we're talking about is the practice of prayer. And so just happy to have you with us today, Chelsea, and wanted to start out by asking you the question, um, I know the answer to this in some ways, but I'm sure there's more nuance. I just wanted to know where you learned. Pray? Like, where was it that you learned to pray? Yeah, I saw um
1: you had sent me the questions and I saw this one and I thought, how are you defining prayer? <laughs> so maybe that maybe we could start there and I could ask you for the purposes of this story or even for yourself personally, how do you define prayer?
0: Well, that is a brilliant question. I think it's the maybe to steal Eugene Peterson, like answering speech like that God speaks, um, in a myriad of different ways. And when we're prayerful, it's, uh, answering speech to God. Um, mm. so that's maybe how I would de- define it. And it doesn't just have to be with our words, like answering a moment of pain with lament prayer could be a prayer or like anger could be prayerful or dancing and playing could be prayer or maybe it's um yeah the the idea that God speaks and then we answer and so I don't love that altogether because I don't know that everything that happens to us in our life I would say that it's God doing it to us or um but maybe it's in a desire to connect with God and we are responsive or declarative and the things that we say or do. Maybe that's how I would to pray. What about you? How would you Yeah I love prayer? that. That's a little different than the
1: definition that I think makes the most sense in my own spiritual life. Um and I certainly you know have that type of prayer as well kind of a responsive prayer and a prayer with um particular words or Um, feelings attached to them, Um, but I think when I was thinking about, you know, talking about prayer today, um, the practices that have been most transformational in terms of my own journey with God and intimacy um, have been more around presence, Um, and so I came up with just the working definition for the purposes of this conversation Of An intimate awareness of God um, or of the transcendent that brings transformation. Um, Because if there's not some transformation in a divine encounter, then I am kind of left with the feeling that maybe I'm just encountering myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe this is just me talking to myself, right? That when we encounter the living God, there's always something that changes in us um, as a result of that. Um, and I frame it in, a, in terms of God or the transcendent because I actually think my first experiences of prayer um, were years before I became a Christian or had this um, concept of God in, in particular. Um, in my early life, I wasn't raised in a Christian household or with any religion, really. Um, but nature was a, a way that I was drawn out of myself into this posture of awe and wonder Um, that I now associate with God um, and a lot of the other things that are characteristic of my relationship with God now, being connected with something larger than myself that's powerful and good, being cared for, um, having meaning and purpose. um, Those were things that I would associate with my relationship with nature in my early life. Um, So I would actually say that that's somewhat similar to my conception of prayer. And in my own life and story, um, I came to an awareness around nature not actually being all powerful, but being at risk. Um, And I was living in rural Oregon um, in the forest and um, that threat looked like um, logging. Um, And with uh, less than 10% of old growth, ancient forests remaining, um, it felt like there was this dire threat to the integrity of this natural ecosystem um, that had had this significant role in, um, in my life. Um, so I became an environmental activist and, um, became, uh, took more and more radical actions and ended up in a group called the Earth Liberation Front, um, that damaged government and business property, um, which sent me to prison, um, as a result of those actions. And then that, and then my prayer life took a really big turn. (laughs) Um, so I, I, say that just to kind of set up, you know, how I got to prison for one, um, but also what I think really was, um, a, a, a dynamic part of my spiritual formation um, as a child.
0: Well, and I think that's a really, like, that's such a beautiful way of setting it up because, in one moment, you're captivated by that which is bigger than you through cre- create, like, things that are outside rivers and forests and the natural, and that kind of calls you into this experience with the transcendent as you said and then all of a sudden you're you're in jail you're in prison and in prison I don't know I I would love to hear about that I'm assuming that most of that is taken away and that the experience of encountering those kinds of large living created entities it's just not you don't have access to that anymore
1: Yeah, exactly. So I was locked in this concrete box um, and also finding myself needing prayer, needing that connection with the transcendent goodness more than I had ever in my life. Um, I was facing a life sentence um, and so was seeking it. Um, And I called my mother and my mother had um, recently been through a very difficult divorce and some health um, situations that had um, initiated a spiritual awakening in her life. Um, and so she was a person and I asked about this because I didn't know anything. Um, and she told me um, about meditation and gave me just some very simple instructions. and here I am just locked in a concrete box. there's nothing else to do. Um I'm just stuck with my own thoughts which at the time were racing around with fears and um, uh, some pretty uh, destabilizing, um, kind of feelings. Um, and so she gave me the very, the the simplest instructions for mindfulness of just, um, pay attention to your breath. And when you notice that your thoughts have wandered elsewhere to the past, to the future, um, just bring your attention back to your breath. That was the whole thing. And, um, I started doing that and unexpectedly, um, had this mystic experience of being drawn into communion with transcendent divinity and had this these feelings of just overwhelming love and peace that didn't make any sense um for my current situation and surroundings um, and i didn't i i didn't have any religious background so i didn't know what to make of this um, but i thought i think when people are talking about god this is what they're talking about that was the only category that made sense of this experience um, and it really changed, it reoriented, it reoriented my heart in significant ways and changed my life. Um, not instantaneously, but it initiated a journey of pursuing what is this? Who is God? What does this mean for me and who I am and how I, um, arrange my life?
0: Well, cause I can imagine that facing a life sentence, being locked in like this tiny concrete space, that's. There's probably a lot of feelings that you're feeling in that moment. And to be able to to be encouraged by your mother to take time and to notice your breath. And in noticing your breath, the thing that you experience is love and peace mm-hmm. and the words that you described. Like that, it makes sense to me then that you're like, okay, let me seek after this. Um... And almost like a surprise I don't know if you felt surprised by that or, yeah. but hearing you talk about it it's it's a little surprising
1: yeah it was not at all what I was expecting and um, and that's grace right I I made myself open to it um, but it was not my it was not something I brought to myself
0: so then what was this What was the – when you said you then pursued or sought after, like what was it that you think – what was that journey like or those turns and how did? How would you say that prayer um, or the practice of prayer or the habit of prayer and maybe meditation was the first – that breath prayer or maybe you wouldn't even have called it a prayer at that point, that attuning to your own breath was kind of the beginnings of – not the beginnings because you'd already had these other – moments outside but i would love to hear more of of what that looked like for you
1: yeah well since i had this experience in the context of meditation i continued to um really uh, dedicate myself to that practice um, in pretty significant ways. Spent um, the next three years in a maximum security lockdown. So again, a lot of time just on my own in a concrete box. Not a lot else to do. (laughs) Um, And a way of in the midst of a very stressful situation, scary situation, um, sad situation, um, to touch into that place of love and peace um, and okayness to have that, that ground to stand on. Um, was really important to me in that time. Um, and then I got moved out into a medium security prison. Um, and I wanted community, you know, who else is doing this? I had been doing, um, a deep dive just on my own in isolation, um, but wanting to learn from others and to have a community that was moving towards these values together. Um, so I started going to church and, um, and prayer actually in that, time was an obstacle. And I was, I had read the Bible and I was reading a lot of different spiritual texts. Um, and the Bible resonated with my own experience more than anything else did. Um, and so i started to go to church, but the ways that I saw prayer, um, being practiced in that context, uh, just didn't sit right with me. It felt like more like Santa Claus, like you ask for what you want and sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't, but that, that, that seemed like the the main way that people were engaging with it. And that just wasn't at all consistent with my own experience of divinity, which was much more about this, um, communion with presence than about some particular outcome. You know, I felt the most communing in that presence when I was facing the worst possible outcomes and the outcome didn't change. Eventually it did. Um, but it wasn't really about that. It wasn't about me getting what I want out of this particular situation. It was more about the surrender to this foundational love that exists regardless of the situation or how things turned out. Um, But I did, in um, going to church, I discovered or um, had the opportunity to practice um, a new type of prayer for me, um, which was corporate worship. Um, And in Prison, I, I tell people who um, maybe have experienced church differently that in prison people know that they need God like they need air. Um, it's a very v- uh, vital, dynamic um, rhythm um, where what I saw was people engaging their whole selves, their bodies and their feelings, um, and their relationships and connections to each other. Um, with this divine communion um, and that it became also for me this weekly safe space to allow myself, um, you know, in prison you just – You're just doing what you got to do. You got to get through it. And there's not a lot of even physical space um, in the medium security to be able to just sit with my own hard feelings. Um, Had to keep going. Had to, you know, keep up um, the strength to just get through each day. Um, But in church, um, we would have the freedom, um, the safety, the support. To be able to allow ourselves to feel the heaviness of the reality of what we were experiencing, the sadness, the regret, um, the fears, and um, to release that in some way. And also to be embraced, to be embraced by God, to be embraced by community. I mean, sometimes physically we're, we're hugging each other and, and we're crying, you know, and you would, you would walk out and just be like, oh, I'm Okay. And and now I can enter back into the rest of my week, and I can. Um, it was it was transformative. Um, so again, getting to that back to that definition of prayer, um, worship was a transformative rhythm
2: for me um, in that context. Hmm. And then um, I got out of prison, and then there's kind of another turn
1: in my prayer life when I went to seminary and um, had the opportunity to integrate kind of these various spiritual experiences um, within a context of Christian orthodoxy. Um, And to um, also broaden and deepen my understanding of prayer, that there are so many different ways of engaging with prayer and and to find that communion um, and to find a Christian framework as well for the meditation that I had been doing. Um, to You know, I'd also, while I was in prison, had gotten into the study of Buddhism and found that that wasn't as, um, well, I think there are some... Um, Helpful insights um, that it didn't totally resonate with my experience of this love and this um, kind of personal quality um, to transcendence, um, but to see that that um, forms of meditation have been within the Christian tradition um, going back to you know the early Christian mothers and fathers and um, the monasteries and so Um, started doing um, Lectio Divina and Centering Prayer and um, I would say that's more of the framework that um, guides my current practice.
0: So now when I think about it's so wonderful to hear this journey that you've been on with prayer um, and ultimately as you defined it with kind of connection to divine love um, and then maybe bringing more and more clarity to how you understand that connection and transformation happening as you connect with divine love, then there's this transformative um, experience that happens through connection. And maybe you didn't use the word connection. Um, And now here you go through being before prison and then you're in prison, and then you're out of prison, you're in seminary and you get these different tools like Teo Divina, Centering Prayer. what would, what would you say that the practice of prayer means to you now? In you know, this series is about practice and the habits that spark deeper love. And I think about when you talked about being in prison and in this moment where basically your whole life is now confined to this concrete, in isolation, you're in isolation in this concrete place. And the thing that you experience in that moment is love. Um, through those breath prayers I guess maybe now I would ask you that same question now that you've been to prison you're out of prison you've got more frameworks with which to wrap around prayer. like what do you what does it mean to you now
2: yeah I would say um I kind of actually
1: returned to the other thing that happened when I was in seminary is I started working in full time ministry and actually kind of returned to that early practice of going into nature um, through Sabbath um, that I uh, would take one day in seven just to rest and receive. And I found the most restorative practice um, that I could do was going for a hike getting out in nature, getting some exercise, you know, the exercise would kind of move the stress out of my body that I had accumulated through the week. Um, And being in nature would draw me into the sense of awe and wonder um, of the the living presence of God. And, um, you know, I get so focused on my responsibilities and just the day-to-day things. And, um, but being, you know, walking on the edge of a mountain seeing wildlife, watching the waves, it's just very clear, um, God's beauty and abundance and goodness is hard to miss <laughs> in those, uh, environments, um, and it would just give me a bigger perspective that I'm, I'm not in control, um, of the, the things that I'm responsible for, um, but I am cared for, you know, just as God feeds the wildlife, um, I'm also going to be okay, um, getting that sense of humility and that sense of, um, yeah, I just think we, we can get very focused on kind of the human um, world. Um, and so that was a helpful practice to me. Um, and then um, the centering prayer as well. I mean, especially now, um, I'm in a season now where I'm um, writing a book about my story. Um, so I'm deliberately kind of calling up some of these very difficult memories um, and also thinking about um, like, climate change because environmental activism is part of my story and that's something that we are um currently very much wrestling with as a people and um and there's there's um fears there and sadness and um a lot of these hard feelings um so having um the centering prayer is like that solid ground on which um i can move out of and also come back to um as i'm Engaging with topics that invoke fear, but wanting to do it with a sense of compassion for myself and for others. Um, so these have become like daily tools for me of um, starting prayer and some kind of intentional movement to get into my body and being out in nature. Um, I don't think I could do it. I, I don't think I could do the work without those practices.
0: And then. What is it about those practices that you think um, does spark deeper love? Deeper love even towards yourself, towards God, towards others. Like, What do you think it is about the practice of prayer, as you've named it, Lectio Divina, centering prayer, Sabbath, movement, nature, um, allowing yourself to maybe encounter divine presence? um what do you think it is about encountering divine presence in those ways that sparks deeper love for yourself or for god or for others um yeah
1: yeah i wondered if it would be helpful for people who might not be familiar with centering prayer because it is a little different than as i mentioned the mindfulness um breath you know breath prayer can be like paying attention to the breath um but for those who might not be familiar um to 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 get a little of that before we talk about how it works um
0: great so uh
1: so we would start with a um with the body just sitting upright um but comfortable um and part of the practice is an intent uh, attentiveness to our internal sensations um so, so posture maybe, does matter.
0: just to be clear like let's just have you lead us through maybe you can as you explain it maybe it's this moment of your here's a here's a prayer practice that people can do so I'll just kind of hand it over to you and you can like lead me and others to this kind of the way you were doing it but um just making sure that people know that's what's happening as they can just settle into their own chair if they want to right now and do this practice
1: yes let's do it (laughs) so yeah sitting upright feet flat on the floor um uh, I imagine um, like a string pulling um the very top of my head. So you have a little curve in your spine, but upright, um, shoulders relaxed, hands resting on um, in your lap. And then um, you might want to close your eyes or if you prefer, just have like a soft gaze um, on the floor in front of you. And then I like to um, actually put my hands on my belly. This is called deep belly breathing. And when you breathe in, you imagine the air going all the way to the bottom of your belly. Your belly expands and then breathing out. Your belly contracts again.
2: We'll do that again. Breathing in and breathing out. Do a few breaths like that. This activates the nervous system response of being safe, kind of counteracting the fight or flight response. And then we choose a sacred word that might be a name of God, Jesus,
1: Abba, Father, or a short phrase like come Holy Spirit. I like to use sometimes just here I am, the response response. Of Samuel, uh, which connects me to that great I am, I am that I am, and also the personal physical presence in this moment.
2: So choose a sacred word that has some significance for you. And then when you notice
1: that your mind has moved into the past, memories, or planning for the future, or a thought or a sensation just very gently say that word and return to this open posture. Cynthia Bourgeau um, writes the book, The Heart of Centering Prayer, and she describes this posture as consenting to the
2: presence and action of God. And then we notice again, our attention has wandered, and again we say our sacred word and return to this open posture. And we do this again. And again, I often practice for 20 minutes at a time,
1: but you can start with two minutes, or five minutes, uh, and gradually lengthen the amount of time. I often as a Talk about meditation and teach um hear people say oh i'm just bad at this um, because their minds are active um and that is the um very clever active brain that god has given us which is a gift it's a wonderful thing there's nothing wrong with it um the purpose is not um to just rest in a, a the kind of a blank state um the purpose is actually this practice of returning. Um, so there's a famous story of Father Thomas Keating um, in some of the early workshops on Centering Prayer. A nun had just done a practice and said, oh, I'm such a failure. In 20 minutes, I had 10,000 thoughts. And Father Keating responds, oh, that's wonderful. That's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. Um, that's the whole practice, the re- noticing and returning, noticing and returning. Uh, and i would say to return to your question why does this spark deeper love Um, i would say it's a practice of self-surrender in this very intimate space of our mind and our body and our and our spirit Um, that in moment by moment um, we're returning we're surrendering um, wherever our minds were um, interested in following and deciding I'm going to rest in this open posture of consenting um, to the action and presence of God. Um, It's not an immediate change, but it's over time there's kind of a gradual accumulation of this habit um, of resting in this posture um, that then be able, uh, it begins to affect other areas of life. Um, And there are hundreds of studies now that have confirmed this basic um, process um, that our brains are highly attuned to threats um, for our own protection. But that um, often means that we react as if we're in danger when we're not actually in danger. Um, An example of that being um, I've had difficult experiences with police, Um, so whenever I'm out in the world and I see someone in uniform or I see um, lights flashing, I would have this just automatic fight or flight response. Um, And when when we enter into that fight or flight response, our best decision making um, from our rational prefrontal cortex and um the bonding areas of our limbic system that connect us to others those just literally are not available to us um we get hijacked by our amygdala flooded with stress hormones um and then i'm in this posture of self-protection um which is very different than a posture of openness and compassion and kindness um so i think the accumulated practice of meditation it's opened just a little bit of space there um where I'm perceiving some potentially threatening um, stimulus and that could be as petty as just like I'm having a conversation and feeling unheard by the person I'm talking to and getting a little frustrated about it Um, you know we have we have different experiences and different levels of this all the time in our lives Um, but having this embodied habit of returning moment by moment to the presence of action of God I have more of this posture of self-surrender, so I can, I can access humility to 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 admit that I don't know everything about the situation. Actually, I can't control the situation, um, but I'm I, I have a practice of of resting in the knowledge that God is in it. God is in this potentially threatening situation. Um, so then to have a curiosity about what is God doing here and how can I participate in the unfolding of love? Um, and I do, I definitely still get hijacked on a regular basis, um, by the fight or flight system. Um, but after 16 years of doing the centering prayer practice, I can see how deeply it has transformed my life for sure.
0: When you talk about these practices, Like, I loved the language resting and consenting to the action and presence of God. Whether that's through, yeah, many different practices and habits, um, like forming in you a humility that then invites loving action. Like, loving action towards yourself as you um, see yourself, and loving action towards others? And then what would you say is loving
2: action towards God? Hmm. That's a good question. I,
1: I mean, I, I just, in, again, in my own practice, just keep coming back to that communion of, of, I think that's, that's the only action that is required from us. Like what do you require of a relationship that of someone that you love um more than anything i think there's a presence there and that presence in itself invokes the desire to love the um the willingness to sacrifice um, our own agenda for the sake of the other um, of that relationship but also the skillfulness to know What is love in this particular situation Mm. that requires proximity it requires some intimacy to know Um, i did and have done much in my life um, taking some action that i think is rooted in love and i think it's on behalf of some other but actually is not actually doing any good in that situation and maybe is actually harming the person that i'm attempting to help um, or making a situation worse that i'm attempting to um, solve. Um, again, coming back to humility and the idea that I don't know, I don't know all the answers resting in that communion. There's also God knows all the things. God knows what is, what, what is love doing in this moment. And so it's only through that communion and that connection with God, that listening, that posture, um, that I will know how to express love in a particular situation. And God loves the world. God wants love to be expressed in the world. Um, so I think that is that is also loving God,
0: you know, when you love others, you're also loving Christ. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on prayer. If you're interested in knowing more about Chelsea, you can follow her on Twitter, at Gerlach Chelsea, capital G-E-R-L-A-C-H, capital C-H-E-L-S-E-A. Next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Stephanie Goering. She has an MFA in poetry from Cornell and a PhD from Duke. She's an artist, poet and theologian, and will be joining us to talk about the practice of story. Again, thanks for joining us today. I hope this sparked an imagination for your own habits and practices around prayer.